time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Let's pray. Father, we so desire that every thought, everything we think about, God, we want to meditate on you. We want righteousness to mark us. We realize that there is the war of the ages going on all around us. God, we realize that we need you to choose righteousness. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to meditate on you, to think on you. God, we pray for divine strength in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. amen. That imagery was a battle. As you sit in whatever context you sit in and as you hang out, wherever you hang out, there's a constant war that's going on over your mind and that doesn't change when you turn 25 or 35 or 45 or 50. There's a continual battle. And actually, if you read books about marketing, right now, the number one age that people market is your age group. You're, there's, there's, a, there's a battle over your thoughts, over your mind, over your affections. One of the things that has risen up in the last five years that we've seen like crazy is, is the, the, the beginning of this social networking. And one of the things that you do with your social network that I've watched is you fill out a profile, right? You fill out a profile, and this profile, you got people that say all kinds of different things, but in it, it's the idea of who you are. It's the idea of what your education is or how, you know, uh, how tall you are. No, you didn't put that. Uh, who you know, people write what their friends are. You put a picture up. You want people to see what you look like. And, and in that, you can put as much information as you want. You can, you can put in your education. You can put in where you go to school. You can put in who your friends are. You can do all that, but no matter how much you put in there, at the very core, even a profile, even a picture and lots of words don't even begin to describe, in essence, who we are. And all of us know it. All of us know. You know that you can read something, you can put something up there, but anybody that sees that, that's not the essence and that's not the core of who you are. You know there's some ideas about you, but anybody that reads it, they may know more about you, but that doesn't mean that they know you. But you have within you the desire to be known. You can't divorce yourself from it. You can't say, well, maybe other people do, but I don't know. Without a doubt, every single human being on the planet has within them a desire to be known. And you can't, you can't pull back from that because you're made in the image of God and God actually has a desire to be known. The God of the ages who created you for relationship has within his heart a desire to be known. So when you start reading the Bible and you open up Genesis 1, 2, 3, we start reading stories about people communing with God. And from the very beginning, the very essence, the very core of what they did, Adam and Eve in the garden, was that they knew God. God created them for relationship. God created them to be known by him and for them to know him. That's why you're created. You're created above all else. And you can't, you can't divorce the fact. You can't, you can't stop and go, no, that's true of somebody else. No, we see it. Whether you said yes to Jesus or not, it's true of everybody. The way that people pursue it changes. How you pursue it changes. How you pursue it is the most important thing about you. How do you pursue this desire to be known, this, this longing, this ache, See, some people, that they're, just, they're desperate for friends. They want somebody, just someone to know who they are, someone to love them for where they're at until they'll do anything to have friends. You know those people. Maybe it's you. 
You see it with some people that want to be famous. I was talking to a 15-year-old recently, and he said, my number one goal in life is to be famous. What he said, I said, really? He said, yeah. The number one goal in my life. Why? Because it's touching on that longing. I want to be known. And I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from. You have that desire within you. The question is, how will you pursue that longing? See, God created it in you. God has a desire to be known. In fact, when we read Revelation 5, read Revelation 4, the very essence of where eternity culminates is that God is known by his people. He's gonna be known. And he created within you a desire to be known because he wants you to know. He knows you. He wants you to know him. But above all else, more than behavior, you're created for relationship. More than doing something for God, you're created for relationship. More than even a mission to do something for Jesus. Above all else, you're created for relationship. You watch your friends, I've watched it for years. I've known it for years, I've seen it. This desire, I wanna be known, gets played out in so many different ways, even though at the core, all of us, if we just watch culture long enough, we know culture can never fulfill it. We've seen far too many of the rich and famous desire to be famous, desire to be known, desire to be wealthy, suicide, and drug use, and brokenness is so high among the rich and famous, they never find it. You've watched it, you know it, you see it in your high school, this quest. You see it, you know what I'm talking about. People that love to name drop and say who their friends are. Some people, some people find such identity and who knows me, how rich I am, where I'm going. Some people, some people it's not even who they are, it's what, what they wanna be. And they'll talk about, well, here's where I'm going. Here's what I'm going to do. Maybe it's even where they've been. Maybe it's what they wear. Maybe it's what they drive. I've seen it. I've seen it. And at its core, it's, it's touching on this desire. I want to find, I want to find myself. I want to find significance in the fact I want someone to know me. And realistically, when you and I open up the word of God, when this starts to be the the book, the way, the person that we want to connect with, there is only one person that knows you perfectly. I've been married for almost 10 years in May, and I love my wife like crazy. My wife loves me. But you know what? I can't know her perfectly, and she can't know me. We got a decade in this thing called marriage, but you know what? I don't know her perfectly. She doesn't know everything that I do. I haven't seen her since noon today. Pick your relationship. No relationship possesses within it perfection other than the one who knows you and he knows you perfectly. Psalm 100 says that we are his. We are the sheep of his pasture. (laughs) You know, Psalm 139, it says that he knows you, that he knits you together in your mother's womb. Psalm 56 says that every tear that you cry, he collects in a bottle. You get to heaven one day, show up. There's a bottle, says Jared Newman on it. Every tear. David Perkins. I'm sure my bottle's gonna be a lot bigger. <laughs> Jared's a lot tougher than me. But anyway, every tear. Every lament, actually, Psalm 56 says that every lament, every time you even say anything, Every plea, every, oh God, why is this happening? It says he collects it on his scroll or more contemporary versions say his book. He records it. 
He knows everything you pray. He knows everything you say. He knows a thought before it's even in your mind. And some of us hear that and it scares us to death because if there is a God who is, we'll use a big word that's called omniscience. He knows all things. If there is a God that knows me like that, surely he's angry. Surely he's ticked. Surely he sees my attitudes, my fear, my envy, my lust, my bitterness. And he looks at me and he wants to crush me. Surely he's ticked. Surely. That's where a lot of us live. If there is a God who, 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 believe, who, who knows me and he knows me perfectly, then most of us think he must be mad. But I'll tell you this. The great rest of your life is to find out how he feels about you, what he thinks about you, and he knows you perfectly. He knows you better than your friends that you're so, you so desperately want them to care about you. He knows you better than whatever, whoever is the most popular kid in school. It's so funny. It's so funny. I, I mean, I went to a school, 2,500 kids. I, I can tell you the names of the most popular kids when I was in high school. And I look back and I go, how awkward, how crazy, how ludicrous that, a, that thousands of kids wanted the attention of 100 or a couple hundred, the popular one. No, it's so interesting. He knows you, even, even your parents. He knows you better. In the midst of that, let me tell you tonight, most people live restless. I just want someone to know me and like me. I just want someone to know me at my core and, and know, really know me. And I'll put on a facade or something fake so that they might, they might like that. It's a miserable way to live. One of the famous theologians, theologians in history, his name was Augustine. And he said, our hearts are restless till they find rest in God, the omniscient one, the all-knowing one. You want to find rest? There's a place. It's in the God who knows you. And here's the, here's the crazy thing. Not only does he know you, but when we read the scriptures and we just read the Bible says he actually, he actually knows you and delights in you and loves you right where you're at tonight. The lie of the enemy is, hey, no, I, I, I'm sitting here and I got this laptop open and I'm looking at, I'm looking at stuff, I'm looking at kids that I know and I'm ticked at them and I'm mad at them and I'm writing mean, mean, mean Facebook emails and I'm so mad at someone else that I defriend them. Ooh, I hate you now, right? Envy. Oh, I want to be like so-and-so. Oh, uh, the, the shopping and the materialism, the lust. And we think, surely now God must hate me. But let me tell you this. The number one lie of the enemy, the number one lie of the enemy that he wants to come and tell you is that this thing is about your performance and not about his son. This is about what you do, not about the cross. But, 
But here's what I find so amazing is I find these stories in the Bible. I find these stories and it seems to me that far beyond behavior, this thing called redemption, this thing called being a Christ follower looks way more like it's about Jesus than it does my behavior. Oh man, I want good behavior. I want righteousness. I want holiness. I want my life to look like Christ. That's what, that's what I long for. That's my desire. But you know what's intriguing to me? When I look at, say, someone like the thief on the cross, Jesus there, the thief on the cross next to him, Jesus dying on the cross. And the thief looks at him and says, hey, today, remember me when you enter into your kingdom? And Jesus looks at him and says, shut up, you filthy, rag, pathetic, pathetic thief. No, you're an embarrassment to me. Hey, thief, shut up. Not what he says. Hey, thief, man, are you stupid? You haven't done anything righteous. No. A thief being crucified for his actions of unrighteousness, a life completely, completely filled with sin. And in a moment, he says to the Savior, God incarnate is the word, it's the incarnation, God on the earth. He looks at him. He says, remember me. And that level of repentance, this is what moves me. That level That just in a moment, that one little level of remember me, I recognize, I don't know all that's going on here. And I know I'm just the thief dying next to you. And I'm sure you're the guy that's causing the earthquake here. And I'm sure you're the guy that's the big deal here. But remember me. And that little ounce of repentance, that little ounce of I want God, there's just that, I mean, that, that moment. And Jesus looks to Adam and he says, Day you will be with me in paradise. <laughs> oh man, if that's true, that's good news. Jesus looked at him and he goes, I tell you this today. Let me tell you something, friends. I don't care how weak, I don't care how lustful, I don't care how angry, or how abused, I don't care how fearful you are tonight. I don't care how cool you think you are and you're trying to impress all these people here. I don't care. I don't care if you, if you, if you, if you, I don't care where you're at tonight. Let me tell you this. This God, this God in the scriptures knows you and you say yes to the finished work of Jesus on the cross and all of a sudden, everything changes. Because what Jesus did on the cross when he died for you, he died for you. You can never improve upon the righteousness of Christ. You can't. Perfect righteousness. And when, Jesus, when, when the God the Father, when he sees you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus if you've said yes to him. If you haven't, then he sees you in your broken, filthy rags. But you say yes, just that, oh God, not my performance isn't good, but I'll See, so many of us, we measure our maturity and think that God's mad at us and that we only grow, that God only likes us when we're mature. But he's a father. 
I've got a little girl named Adeline Grace. She's the delight of my heart. She's got blonde hair, blue eyes. The other two look like their mom, and this poor little girl looks like her dad. A little kind of short and chubby. It's awesome. And uh, I remember when she just, you know, when she was first starting to walk, she walked a whole lot later than the other two. My son Dawson, he was walking at 11 months. He was just, you know, a little man of God, just running at 11 months. Olivia, she's real skinny. And uh, she's like her mom, you know, she's got, she, she looks like her mom. She's kind of like Renata Jr. She was walking, I think, 12 months. Adeline, her one, her one, we've got both, both kids, we've got their one-year picture where they're standing up next to the number one. <laughs> Adeline, <laughs> she's sitting strong at 14 months because we were like gonna try to, you know, but 12 months, she still wasn't standing. So we're like, we'll cheat on ourselves. And, we, you know, in 13 months, 14 months, 14 months, she still wasn't standing. She's just, you know, little kind of chunky kid, still couldn't walk. So she's just sitting next to the number one like this. When she finally started walking, it was like this kind of this awkward little, you know, really awkward, not near as good as her, her siblings. And I looked at her. Come on, Addie Grace. Come on, sweetie. She started walking toward me, fell down, looked at her and said, Stupid girl! God! So embarrassed by you! You pathetic chunk of chubby! Oh! God! No. You know what I did? When my little Adeline Grace, when she took one step, all I saw was one step. I didn't even see that she fell. I just did a dance. I did a little David Youth Pastor dance and said, she took a step. <laughs> Renata, she took a step. She took a step. Your father, when you take a step toward him, doesn't look and say, you're pathetic. I saw this in your heart. I saw this sin in your heart. And I'm so mad at you. He does love you. He does delight you. And when you, just like baby steps to the Father, when you come near him and you come after him, he looks at you and he delights in you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows everything about you. Zephaniah 3 says that he sings songs over you. My triplet sister Dana wrote a book. One of the chapters she talks about, what, what would it mean if the God of the ages who knows I mean, he not only knows every hair in our head, but he knows everything about us. And it says that in Zephaniah, it says that he sings a song over us. What if it's not a corporate song over the human race? But what if God literally has a real relationship with every single one of us and sings a very real song over you? What if his song over Jared and Stefan is different than what he sings over me? What, 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 what if, the, and by song, the nature is the content of what's in his heart? When I look at Jesus... I look at Jesus hanging out with Peter, James, John, Philip, and Thomas, and Matthew, and I look at Jesus having different relationships with the different guys. Undoubtedly, relationships look a little bit different. I think he looks at you. He's got an invitation to you. He wants to know you, and he wants to be known by you, and your relationship doesn't look like Jared Newman's or Nico's or Tara's. Or it looks like yours. It's a real relationship. It's not this cosmos thing in the sky. We all look the same. No. No, God wants to speak things over you. You have different gifts and callings and abilities and skills. 
You, you come from different families. You come from, you got different genetics. God knows you. And he wants to develop, he wants you to develop a relationship with him. It's all you. He delights. He loves. It's a crazy thing to think that he knows you and still loves you right where you're at. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. He looks at you. He sees the new creation. But the new creation is so small. The little light inside of me is just a little flicker. And the darkness is so strong. and just won't feel. No. He looks at you. He sees through the lens of Christ. He goes, I like you. John 17, Jesus prays that we would know him. It's a very intriguing thing because one of my favorite things to talk about is John 17. If you're in tag, you're gonna need to learn John 17. It's called the high priestly prayer. The reason I love it is because we see a few things in it. We see one, the heart of Jesus because it's all Jesus' prayer. But two, we're confident that Jesus answers his own prayers. We just live with the confidence that when when, when Jesus, the Son, you know, God, the Son, prays to God, the Father, he's going to get his prayers answered. We're just quite confident that the Son of God doesn't look up one day and go, God, what's up? He didn't answer my prayers, man. Um, we're just confident that the way this thing plans out or ends up in eternity, when Jesus prays it, it happens. And Jesus says in John 17, 3, he says, and this is eternal life, that they might know you. Here's what that means, friends. There's going to be a remnant of people that know God. 15-year-olds that know God. 13-year-olds that know God. 17-year-olds that know God. The knowable God has offered us an invitation to know him. When Jesus prays that we would know him, it's possible. The way this thing's going down, I know not perfect. But even when we look at the lives of the disciples, none of them were perfect. I mean, when Jesus is talking with his disciples, it's interesting because in John 59, he looks at them and you can imagine the story. Jesus is about to embrace the cross. It's the upper room. Very famous story. Jesus is looking at them and he looks at them and he says, uh, he says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, most of the time when we think about Jesus talking to, I mean, imagine the disciples. So you got, you know, flat bread and wine. And he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And, and probably food, by the way, you know, actual real food too, you know. And he, and he says that statement, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, which is, which is a powerful statement. Because you have God existing in eternity past, loves his son. We all know the story. God the Father loves God the Son. There's a whole lot of love going on within the Trinity there. And he, and he goes, all right, okay, guys. Peter, shut up for a minute and listen. Thomas, dude, stop doubting. Look at me. Matthew, put the money down. Listen, fellas, I want you to get this. He says this, he goes, as the Father has loved me, the way that God the Father loves me, guys, that's how much I love you. Now, here's the intriguing thing about this. Jesus has already said that he knows full well that they're going to leave him. He already said it. So 
He knows full well that they're all gonna leave him that very night. Because you know the story, Judas betrays him. You've seen the passion. You've read your Bible. They're all, they all leave him. And Judas gets the bad rap because he betrayed him. And then we have the story of Peter. But they all left him. When times got tough, they scattered. And Jesus looks at the disciples and he knows full well. Imagine locking eyes with him. Not ticked, not mad. He stays the course and he says, as the Father has loved me, guys, I know tonight, I know what's gonna happen. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved Friends, I know we think of the disciples as, you know, these the great apostles that built the early church, but, but they left him that night. They, they were weak men. I mean, we've seen the Michelangelo paintings, you know, imagine them like with halos and Jesus is like glowing, oh, you know, except for Judas always got, you know, little thorns in the side kind of thing. Those are what the paintings look like. We imagine something different than what's real, but what's real is that they were weak men. And I don't, I'm not telling you this to lower the bar of what's expected of you, but I do believe, I do believe that as I've walked with my friends, as I've attempted for, for most of my life to try to make disciples, the number one thing that I see people discouraged on, they start to believe a lie about how God feels about them and that he's annoyed with them. They've gone too far. They've done too much. And they just need to check out. But your God, my God, loves you. He delights in you. He sings over you. In fact, it's so fun because, you know, John the Beloved, he's really the only one, the only apostle that, that doesn't give his life as a martyr. He ends up being persecuted on what's called the island of Patmos. So then he goes to write his version of the story of Jesus. We call it the Gospels. And he goes to write his story. And when he goes to write his story, he, he, he doesn't even write his own name. He just writes the disciple that Jesus loved. Five times he writes it. Five times, a disciple that Jesus loved. I was talking to one guy one time and he said, oh yeah, John, just false humility. And I go, you know what? I don't think that's false humility. I think John understood the nature of the gospel. See, John wasn't perfect. John was fighting with his brother over who's gonna be the greatest. John was just an average guy. When Jesus said, kind of blew him off, they went and got their Jewish mother she came and said, oh, did you tell my boys no? Which one of them is going to sit next to you? I ask. Let them sit at your left and your right. Jesus is like, man, these little Jewish mothers, fiery pistols, you know. John wasn't perfect. John the beloved, John the disciple that Jesus loved, John got it, that the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus that Jesus brought, is, hey, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And that's the story, that's the story we're looking for, and it became so much of his identity 
his, soul, his core. If an American were to write his version of the gospel or we were to write our story, man, we'd put an acknowledgement on the back of the gospel. Of, if I were to make, you know, the God, you know, if I were to write my story, my temptation would be like, let me tell you about the great things that I did, you know. John should write, hey, I helped lead the church in Ephesus. I really helped build the early church. I was there in Acts chapter two. You know, when the whole thing got started, I was there. I was one of the early church founders. Hey, I knew a lot of famous people. In fact, Jesus' mother came and lived in my house. Let me put Mary, Jesus' mom, as an endorsement on my gospel. Let me tell you, I knew, I knew Paul. I knew Paul. Come on, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and I know him. Ha, ha, ha. Surely, surely John should write some of those things, find some identity in his success. Find some identity and that he knew some cool people. Not bad to have Jesus' mom look at you, you know, Jesus look at you and say, John, take care of her. And she came and lived with him in his home. That's pretty cool. Not, not bad to be friends with Paul. Not, not bad to know Peter, the guy who preached the sermon in Acts chapter 2 that literally changed the world. That was the beginning of the biggest movement in history called the Church of Jesus Christ. Not bad. Surely John should have wrote some of those things. Surely John should be writing some of that stuff. But he goes, no, 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 no. I'm not going to write my accomplishments on my profile. I'm not going to write... Who I know. I'm not going to write the cool people that I know. I'm not going to write the cool things I did. I'm not going to write the... the, the, No, here's how I want the description. Here's how I want people to think of me. You know, this this book of the Bible probably will be a pretty big seller. (laughs) Here's here's how I want to go down in history. Here's what I want on my tombstone. Here's what I want on my profile. Here's how I want people to remember me. I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. I'm the one God loves. And if at age 17, age 13, if that goes deep into your heart, if that's a dagger into your heart, I promise you, I promise you at your very core, at your very core, more than I'm a football player, more than I'm an athlete, more than I'm a student, more than who you date, more than what you're going to be, more than, your, more than your education, more than who likes you and who doesn't, more than what you look like, more than what you see when you look in the mirror and what your hair currently looks like or your face or all those things. If at the core, I mean, right here, when you think about who am I, and at the core, it is this. I'm just the disciple, an average, weak, broken person that Jesus chose to love They don't need, they can't be bought or sold. They don't need, they don't need all the stuff of the day. They don't need all of the accolades from people. They don't need all of the cool people to tell them. They don't need all of the expensive clothes. They don't need all of the stuff. All those things are fine, and they can, but they can take them or leave them. They can't be bought or sold because they know the one that's already bought them. And they belong to him. And he's their everything. And the other stuff doesn't move them. I've watched it. This weekend, I was with a 64-year-old man, and money doesn't move him. Fame doesn't move him. People offering him success, he's just unmoved. He spent every day since he was 20 years old going, I want to find my life and the fact that I'm loved by Jesus. And the man weeps when he talks about Jesus, and nothing else causes any emotion in him because he just doesn't care. One thing moves him. 
full identity be loves me because loved people oh man man loved people are powerful people if 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 literally every marketing in the agency in the in the land has has nothing on you or people trying to allure you into their club or their friendship trying to get you to dress a certain way have your hair a certain way do a certain thing if they don't have any power over you then suddenly you possess the strength to be a real conduit of the power of God because they've got nothing on you. They can't move you. You go into your high school and you know who you are. I'm the beloved. I'm loved by God. This is who I am. Suddenly, it doesn't matter. All the allurements, because you've got a mission, you don't care what they say because you know what he says? Those people become powerful people. Literally Dangerous. Just read church history. The ones who hung out with him, the ones that got it, the ones that sat with him. That's what Peter says. And when Peter writes, he goes, those of you that you know of his love, though you haven't met him face to face, but you know of his love. And he's speaking and he knows his love. Peter goes, I saw it. I was there. I know. And 10 of the 12, 10 of the 12 lose their life the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're loved. Because they're loved, they have something to die for. And they know who they are. I'm telling you, friends, this goes into your heart. I don't care how ugly you are. I don't care how uncool you are. I don't care how smart you are or not smart you are. How popular, if you don't have a friend in the world. This goes into your heart. And we'll be the most powerful people on campus in the city. This goes deep in you. I want to pray for you. Those of you that go, this is me. I want Jesus to write this. I want to know I'm loved. He knows me. I want my profile. I mean, write it on my profile. Write it on my jersey. Write it, tattoo it on my face. Don't literally do that. Your parents will sue me. Write it. This is who I am. I love it. Job does that. You know, write this on a rock. I know who God is. That's a different sermon. But tonight, you want God to write it on your heart. I'm loved. He knows me. I have a desire to be known. And he loves me. Imperfection and all. I'm going to ask Nico to come on up if that's you. I don't need special music. I don't need everybody to stand, but if that's you, I want to pray for you. I want you to come up really close right here, and I want to pray for you. Come quickly. Go, 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 go. Stand up, and I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray Jesus would write this on your heart. You want to be one of the most dangerous people on the planet. The allurement of the age has no power on you. Who you are, it's written, it's carved in stone. It's on your heart. I am loved. I'm known by God. I was created to know him. You want to know what my profile looks like? You want to know what I'm really about? Man, you can say a lot of things about me. But you want to know who I am? It's like right now in my life. I remember this going into my heart. This going into my heart when I was 18 and 19 years old in, a, in just a miraculous way. And I'll tell you this. Today, to this day, this is what I want. My life's changed a lot since I was 19. 
When I was 19, I wept over John 21, and I wept over John 15. I said, God, this is what I want over my life. This is what I want. And today, you know, I'm married. I ended up working in Colorado at a church. 10 years, never knew I'd work in church. Never knew I'd have so many kids. <laughs> never knew I'd be a youth pastor. But all those things, those are nothing. Compared to you want to know what I believe in my essence? Far more, than, far more than anything else, far more than what I do or the ultra-hip minivan I drive. He loves me. That's who I am. That's who I am. That's what I needed to know when life was hellacious for me as a junior high kid. That's what I needed to know when things started to go well for me in high school and got the applause of men. God had to break me down. College. Started flying all over the country. Doing lots of cool stuff. Every time I come before God, it's not your success, it's not your failure that defines you. It's me. I define you. What I say about you. Place your hand on your heart and let me pray for you. God, I don't want to play church. I want to do a bunch of a goofy thing to try to be cool Wednesday nights. Man, we want your presence and your power in our midst. We're going to follow the man Jesus. And we want all that you've got for us. I don't want to feel the pressure as a youth pastor to put my hair a certain way and try to do funky things, try to make people like me. Man, I just... I just want to live and that I'm loved and declare the word of God. I lift up my friends tonight. They don't want to go to their high school and try to dress a certain way, look a certain way and have a certain guy or the certain girl notice them. Man, we don't want to live that way. We want to live in the knowledge of the love of God. We want to be renewed like Colossians 3 says in the knowledge of God. That's who we are far beyond anything. That's who we are in eternity. Even beyond these temporal bodies, that's who we are forever and ever. That's what the cross did for us, and that's who we are. Set a people ablaze, God. Set a people ablaze. Heal the wounded heart. Pray for the 14-year-old young man so tempted to try to get everybody to like him. Oh, speak your love over his life tonight. Pray for the 16-year-old girl that's consumed with Seventeen Magazine and how she looks. Oh, God, deliver her. Speak your affection over her heart tonight. Pray for the 13-year-old boy that feels like he has no friends. God, be his closest friend. Speak your love over him tonight. Change him. Renew him. Help him. Become full center. Our identity is in you.
Our identity is in a man, died on a cross, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven. He sits enthroned forever. He will return for us. He will take us with him to rule and reign forever and ever and ever. It's good news, Jesus. I'm so glad I find my identity in you. Not how I look. Not who notices me. Not what people say. Not by my grades. Not by how cool or expensive my jeans are. Man, just you. I'm the disciple the Lord loves. I'm the guy God likes. I'm the child Jesus loves. My imperfection. Pray that you do surgery in our hearts tonight, God. Transform us. Oh, God, let there be a youth movement like the world's never known. Here in our midst. We want a holiness movement. We want a prayer movement. We want a justice movement. We want want to know God. We want it all. Everything you'll give a band of believers on the north side of Colorado Springs will take it. All that you'll give, we'll take. We love you. We love loving you. Everybody said amen? Amen.